Prophets, Solomon. When the Queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relationship to the Lord, she came to test Solomon with hard questions. Arriving at Jerusalem with a very great caravan, with camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold and precious stones, she came to Solomon and talked with him about all she had on her mind. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon and the palace he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, his cupbearers, and the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. She said to the king, The report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. But I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth you have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to your Lord God, who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. And she gave the king 120 talents of gold, large quantities of spices and precious stones. Never again were so many spices brought in as those the Queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Hiram's ships brought gold from Ophir, and from there they brought <coughs> great cargoes of Olmec wood and precious stones. The king used the Olmec wood to make supports for the temple of the Lord and for the royal palace, and to make harps and lyres for the musicians. So much Olmec wood has never been imported or seen since that day. King Solomon gave the Queen of Sheba all she desired and asked for, besides what he had given her out of his own royal bounty. Then she left and returned with her retinue to her own country. Second reading is on page 349, continuation of half of chapter 10 from verse 14. The weight of the gold that Solomon received yearly was 666 talents, not including the revenues from merchants and traders and from all the Arabian kings and governors of the territories. King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. He also made 300 small shields of hammered gold with three minas of gold in each shield. The king put them in the palace of the forest of Lebanon. Then the king made a great throne covered with ivory and overlaid with fine gold. The throne had six steps and its back had a rounded top. <clears throat> On both sides of the seat were armrests with a lion standing beside each of them. Twelve lions stood on the six steps, one at either end of each step. Excuse me. 
Nothing like it had ever been made for any other kingdom. All King Solomon's goblets were gold, and all the household articles in the palace of the forest of Lemuron were pure gold. Nothing was made of silver, because silver was considered of little value in Solomon's days. The king had a fleet of trading ships at sea, along with the ships of Hiram. Once every three years it returned carrying gold, silver and ivory, and apes and baboons. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Year after year, everyone who came brought a gift, articles of silver and gold, robes, weapons and spices, horses and mules. Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses, which he kept in the chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones and the cedar as plentiful as sycamore fig trees in the foothills. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt and from Kew. The royal merchant purchased them from Kew at the current price. They imported a chariot from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. They also exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and of the Arameans. Well, to keep that open, let me uh, pray for us uh, together. Our Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you that as we uh, open your word, uh, we uh, see wonderful, glorious things. As we see uh, your work in Solomon, in, in the kingdom, we pray that we would see uh, your glory uh, revealed. But as we see in uh, Solomon's life, the, the, the flaws of one whose heart is turning away from you. We pray, Lord, that we would have humility to see ourselves here too. Uh, so please um, speak to us uh, and shape us and encourage us as your people uh, that uh, in all things our hope would be founded in the Lord Jesus Christ. For we ask this in your name. Amen. We read a chapter like this, and of course, it is probably one of the most famous uh, in, uh, in uh, One Kings. Uh, I did think about asking Anne to play the arrival of the Queen of Sheba as we came into church this morning. Uh, I'm only joking. <laughs> if, you, if you know Handel's famous piece. Uh, it, is, uh, it is an extraordinary chapter as we read of it. I mean, uh, it is... Uh, a chapter that displays God's blessing uh, to Solomon. Uh, indeed, uh, in 1 Chronicles 29, we're told that, right, soon after David's prayer that I read uh, at the beginning of the service, we're told that uh, you know, Solomon was, uh, no one had ever been blessed by God like Solomon uh, had. And when we read this kind of chapter, we kind of get a sense of that, don't we? It's just extraordinary. I mean, people just can't bring enough gifts to him. It is an extraordinary, but, but what are we to make of it? Uh, these, this, these chapters are in many ways the high points of the Old Testament, of the life of Israel in the land. 
But yet, if you were here last week, when we looked at chapter 9, we, we saw something of this, uh, this wonder, this glory in Solomon, but yet, at the same time, we're starting to see flaws, cracks in his rule. Uh, I used an illustration uh, of an architect's model. So you think of one of those little models that an architect's make. And, and the point of that model is to help us be able to see, to visualize, get a taste of uh, that which is to come. The model points to the building. And it's meant to excite us as we see this model, as we see what, uh, what is to come. And, and, and Solomon's reign is very much like that. It is, it is wonderful, it is glorious, but it only serves to point us to something even more glorious, wonderful, uh, that is yet to be realized. But as we look closely at uh, Solomon's life and reign, well, a bit like an architect's model, we start to realize that it's, well, it's just made of card, that, that, that you know, it, there's little gaps, uh, there's see bits of glue, where you, should, you know, and all that kind of sort of thing. Of course, uh, it's not the finished product. It's not meant to be. Well, so with uh, Solomon, we see a picture of what is to come. So these, picture, these chapters are a glorious picture of a great king but a great king who foreshadows the greater king, the Lord Jesus. And as, as we do so, we, we see the glory and its splendor, and it is uh, extraordinary, and yet at the same time, the writer doesn't gloss over the flaws. And in chapters 9, 10, and 11, the, there is a sense in which these flaws are made slowly more explicit to us. And tragically, we start to see the spiritual drift uh, of our heart as it turns away from the Lord. It was Blaise Pascal who kind of famously said that humanity is both the glory and the garbage of the universe. That's quite a statement, isn't it? But I guess we, 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 we see that, don't we? We see the glory, we see the acts of sacrifice, of kindness uh, and generosity uh, of those uh, who are made in the image of God, who display something of his glory in this world. We see that, but at the same time, uh, alongside that, we see mixed with cowardice and greed and self-centeredness. And, and that, that mix we see not just in, in humanity, but in our own lives, don't we? And that's just before breakfast. I was reminded this week of the car park miracle. Is anyone familiar with the car park miracle? Car park miracle, that, that amazing thing is when we walk kind of uh, through the car park of church or we park our car here and then all of a sudden all the, all the bickering and the rows and the frustrations about getting out of the house on time and getting to church on time and all the things that all of a sudden just leaves us and we walk into the church like new people. It's a miracle, the car park miracle. Uh, churches up and down the land experience it, and, and of course, but that's true, isn't it, of all of our lives. Well, in this chapter, chapter 10, we see the good and the bad, the glory and the shame, uh, and that's because it points us to the glory and the splendor of Jesus and his eternal reign. And so, uh, as we look at that, we also pointed to, uh, in Solomon's failure, and how that reflects fallen humanity. We should see ourselves here too. And the writer kind of brings, weaves these two things together through this passage. If you like, two witnesses to help us see. The, the first witness is that of the arrival of the Queen of Sheba. And then the second witness is that of the law of Moses. So let's look at these 
two uh, witnesses, these two testimonies concerning Solomon. Firstly, the Queen of Sheba. Now, I believe Joe Biden is uh, stopping in the UK for a state visit today and tomorrow uh, to, uh, as the White House said, to uh, further strengthen the close relationship between our nations. And that's what state visits are for, aren't they? And, um, and here we have the, probably the most famous state visit of, of human history, uh, of the arrival of the Queen of Sheba. Uh, there are people today, uh, kind of monarchs in various parts of the world, who claim descendancy from the Queen of Sheba. It's quite extraordinary. Now, uh, we're not actually sure where Sheba was. Um, there's a number of references to it in the Bible and into, in, in history. Most experts would agree that it's probably somewhere on the south of the Arabian Peninsula or possibly the Horn of Africa. So we're to think Oman or e- Yemen or Ethiopia, somewhere around there, we're not sure. But this, this queen, therefore, has traveled about a thousand miles with, verse 2, this great caravan, a very great caravan. So it's a, imagine all these camels and uh, and. and possibly donkeys, whatever, all laden with, with stuff. All these people, this great retinue, kind of uh, arrives because, verse 1, she has heard of Solomon and of his relationship with the Lord. A king and a God whose name has spread, the name of the Lord ringing out to the nations, just as God promised he would do. And so uh, the queen of Sheba makes her journey. And I'm sure that the palace of Sheba would also be making a statement about the furthering, strengthening uh, of close relationships between uh, our nations, that sort of thing. Uh, But of course, there's more than that going on. So look verse uh, verse 2. As she comes, uh, she came to Solomon and talked with him all that she had on her mind. So yes, she brought all these spices and gifts and all the rest of it, but what she really brings is her questions. And verse 3, we're told, Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. And so she marveled at Solomon, his wisdom. Uh, the, the only thing she imagined, she said, this makes sense. Here is the, 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 Solomon's God has given him wisdom, and more than wisdom, wealth. She looks around at the, kind of the, 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 the palace, the state banquet like no other. Uh, it was like nothing she'd experienced before. Indeed, as she witnessed everything uh, as Solomon took around, the, the food on his table and the, the officials and the attending servants and all the rest of it, we're told at the end of verse 5, she was overwhelmed. And literally, that's the idea of being breathless. She had her breath taken away. I guess we've all had that experience from time to time when we're just left speechless before something, left in wonder. And so, uh, verses 6 to 9, she gives her verdict on Solomon. She said to the king, The report I have heard in my own country and about your achievements and your wisdom is true. But I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, if not even half was told me, In wisdom and wealth, you have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. 
Praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. And so she sees Solomon. It leads her to praise, praise of Solomon's God, not just general praise. No, specific praise of the Lord, the covenant-making and keeping God. Uh, who has made a covenant of eternal love with his people. And in response to Solomon's God, she then lays treasure at the king's feet. Uh, Verse 10. Uh, Four tons of gold, um, the footnote says. Four tons. That is a lot of gold, isn't it? And there with large quantities of spices and precious stones. And we're told... Never again were so many spices brought in as those the Queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. So you can imagine all the cooks uh, in the in the palace grounds, and so you know they're all trying these different spices, and the uh, and and the 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 food on the king's table is is just kind of so rich, uh, it's glorious. And just like the architect's model, as it fleshes out the promises and plans of God, Solomon helps us to see the outline of the coming king. If we think this is glorious, well, the best is yet to come. Uh, Look ahead at verse 24. The the, the greatest of all the kings, we're told, the whole world sought an audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. A little glimpse, you know, all these people, not just the Queen of Sheba's coming. All, all these kings, these people. And remember that it's the fulfillment of this promise that, that kind of the name of the Lord would go into all the nations. Well, it's a picture, isn't it? It's not just Queen of Sheba that's coming to Solomon, but there is going to be a greater coming, a coming of the world to the greatest son of David. And Solomon himself speaks of this uh, in Psalm 72. Uh, in, in the psalm that he wrote, he speaks of the coming king. He says, may he rule from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. May the desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the distant shores bring tribute to him. May kings of Sheba and Seba present him with gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. And Isaiah, again, he will pick up this idea too. A day we're told when nations will come to your light, kings to the brightness of your dawn. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you and the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land, young camels from Midian and Ephraim. All from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the name of the Lord. This glorious picture one day that all the nations coming to God's king, laying treasure uh, at his feet. And they've come to worship the Lord God. So what do we find when this king is born? Well, magi from the east come with their gifts, with gold and incense and myrrh, and bowed before the infant Christ. And so it is, as the word of Christ is preached throughout the whole world, 
people from every nation are drawn to him who will worship him and lay their lives before him, before his feet. Uh, The Queen of Sheba here is, if you like, in some ways, just an anticipation of all that is to come. We think four tons of gold is a lot. It's nothing compared to what God's people will bring to the Lord Jesus. And of course, like the Queen of Sheba, uh, we receive from this king far, far greater blessings uh, in return. Uh, Verse 13, so striking, King Solomon gave the Queen of Sheba all that she desired and asked for, besides what he had given her out of his royal bounty. And she left and returned with her retinue to her own country. You see, Solomon kind of gave far more back to her of his treasures to her, far more than she gave. And so our hearts should thrill, shouldn't they? As we read this story, as we, as we know, it, it points forwards to, uh, if you like, a whole world for whom Jesus will take their breath away. It was the glory and the wisdom and the grace and the blessing of Jesus is made known. Is that a glorious picture? And maybe some here are, are, are rather skeptical. Uh, maybe think for yourselves, well, I'm, I'm not ready to believe all of this. It all just sounds a bit much. Well, just notice that uh, Queen of Sheba was skeptical too. Verse 7, she says, I didn't believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. She came, didn't she, to kind of to see for herself, to weigh the evidence for herself of I think there's a challenge here for, for us, uh, for particularly if we are holding back from Jesus. Jesus said to his contemporaries who were refusing to take seriously the evidence that was before their very eyes, he said to them, the queen of the south, that's referring to Sheba, will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one than greater than Solomon is here. <laughs> so maybe just for one or two of you here this morning, for whatever reason that you're holding fast to your doubts, the Queen of Sheba is a warning to you. Okay, we've a book in the, the, the Tower Entrance. It's called, Are You 100% Sure You Want to Be a Skeptic or an Agnostic? Okay, well, look, just, uh, you know, if, if, if you're thinking, not, how can I be sure? Well, why do you take that book? It's in the tower. Take it, read it, have a thing. Nothing else. Come uh, and look at Jesus. But, but just note this. The Queen of Sheba would say to you, shame. I traveled a thousand miles to see Solomon, and we're talking about one who is greater than him. Don't find yourself undecided on that which you can have certainty. Uh, The Queen of Sheba, uh, God's king to whom the nations will come. But there is another witness uh, here in this chapter that the writer also wants us to hear, and that is the witness of the law of Moses. Well, uh, you know, as in chapter 9, we, we could read a lot of these verses a real positive light. And, and certainly we're meant to see God's gift to him, the, the blessings that he's received. It's, it is a golden age, isn't it? In Israel, in the land, we are, uh, we're meant to see that all the way through. So look, for example, uh, 
verse 12, uh, so much almond wood has never been imported or seen since that day. Now, um, uh, nobody's quite sure what almond wood is. Uh, we uh, had a uh, a wood turning factory with all sorts of exotic hardwoods that came through, but I, I never turned anything in almond wood. Uh, I have no idea what it was. Some people think it might be sandalwood, but the point was it was precious and in abundance. Verse 27 The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones. You might just imagine that, you know, kind of. I mean, it's it, it trying to make a point, but you know, you know, someone's re-graveling their kind of their drive, kind of like, oh, just use a bit of silver, you know, kind of. It's just like it's like stones. It was as, and cedar was as plentiful as sycamore fig trees in the foothills. But it is the word the gold that really jumps out in these verses, isn't it? Uh, it comes ten times in 12 verses we can't miss it vast amounts of gold verse 14 the weight of gold that solomon received yearly was 666 talents that's a vast quantity of gold it's not meant to be sinister it's meant to be kind of you know the 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 accounting of somebody who's measuring all this gold something like 20 tons it's it's coming in from from all over the place and so verse 16, King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. He also made 300 small shields of hammered gold with three miners of gold in each shield. The king put them in the palace of the forest of Lebanon. So all this gold, it's kind of, you know, he's kind of at the point where he's kind of like, oh, what to do with it all? You know, so it makes these huge shields of gold. Tons of gold went to each shield. And we're told, verse 21, all the goblets were of gold, the household articles were of gold. It's starting to sound, isn't it, a little bit conspicuous with its lavish luxury. Well, uh, just as the arrival of the Queen of Sheba uh, kind of foreshadowed the nations coming to Christ, so too this foreshadows the splendor and the glory and the majesty of Jesus, not seen in in gold uh, and in splendor, actually in his poverty. But one day, the new Jerusalem will be a city made of pure gold. Maybe some almug wood as well. Pure gold, we're told in Revelation. Yet as we read this, it, it starts to leave some questions, at least it should. As we start to see that, you know, that this throne is, again, it's kind of full, uh, ivory. It's on, it's on six steps high. Or the seventh step is this kind of picture of kind of perfection. Uh, and then uh, everything is just in, in such abundance. And yet, as we read this, we're to call into mind, aren't we? Remember chapter 9, uh, verses, uh, verses uh, 3 uh, to uh, three to nine, we're told how are we to measure Solomon's reign? How are we to measure it? Uh, 1 Kings 9. Well, it is about his obedience to the law, remember. What is God looking for in Solomon? It is faith expressed in his obedience to the law of Moses. 
And so as we uh, reflect on this chapter, maybe uh, parts of the law of Moses start to resonate with us. I referred this briefly uh, last week, but turn to uh, Deuteronomy 17, or it's on the the, the handout uh, if you're following that. Uh, Deuteronomy 17, because here is part of the law of Moses that explicitly speaks of God's king. Uh, So uh, Deuteronomy 17, verse 14 told that when you enter the land, the Lord your God has given you and have taken possession of it and settled in it. And you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you a king of the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way. He must not make, take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. There's a, a, a kind of a picture. What, why, is, why is the king not to do those things? Well, it is to gain glory and security that comes from God but the king is not to act as though that those things are found in him and as you read chapter 10 you can't help but these words resonating with us can they that the author is at pains to tell us that Solomon accumulated large amounts of silver and gold so verse 22, the, the king had a fleet of trading ships at sea with the, the ships of Hiram. Well, once every three years it returned carrying gold and silver and ivory and, and apes and baboons. You know, as we read through the script, this passage, you know, by any standard we'd be impressed, but hold it up to the laws of Moses and we're to be alarmed, aren't we? Because, uh, well, chapter 10 continues not just about silver and gold, but horses. So verse 26, 1 Kings 10, uh, Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horses, which he kept in the chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. Well, that, that is, isn't it? Collecting chariots and horses that we told specifically not to do, but then, then if, we, if we're missing all of this, it's made absolutely clear to us. Why? Verse 28, Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt. And that's precisely what the king is told not to do in Deuteronomy 17. You're not to go back to Egypt. But, you know, Solomon's looking around. He's got this, got his, this growing army of horses and chariots, and he wants Egypt's horses, so he goes there and gets them. And then to make matters worse, verse 29, we're told that uh, Solomon started to export chariots to the Hittites and to the Arameans, who are Israel's enemies. I mean, he's arming his enemies. Uh, gold, large numbers of horses. Uh, he's driving a, a chariot and horses, isn't he, through Deuteronomy 17? Well, uh, you know, out of those three markers of gold, uh, of horses and wives, uh, at least he's not marrying lots of wives. Oh, we'll look at that next week. I think verse 21, sorry, 23 kind of sums things up, doesn't it? Uh, Of this tension, here we see the glory of Solomon and yet the flaws. 
Verse 23, uh, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the kings of the earth. And I think there's some sort of irony in that. This wisdom and, and, and splendor from God and yet a heart that seems to be gripped by that very wealth that the Lord has given to him. And the, more, the law of Moses tells us what we're to make of it. Uh, money and power are turning his heart away from the Lord. And here we see, don't we, you know, we've seen a picture of Jesus in, in Solomon, uh, of his glory and splendor, but we're also to see something of ourselves here, aren't we? That, you know, it, the, the, the cost of living has probably left most of us having less money to spend on things, feeling squeezed financially, and, and the reality is, is, is you don't need to have lots of money for money to have a hold on our hearts. In many ways, at the moment, people are more grasping onto money at the moment well we need to examine our hearts don't we Solomon's wealth was a gift from God but it wasn't for his own splendor the, the, those two words back in uh, Deuteronomy 17 those two words for himself that's the problem isn't it you know Solomon's bounty of wealth was to be a blessing shared Back in uh, chapter 3, as, he's, as Solomon opens up his table, you know, all people ate and drank and were merry. And there's this lovely little picture of God's people living under the blessing of, of God's king and rule. But, but here we, yeah, we, we see some of that generosity as he gives to the Queen of Sheba. But, but at the same time, it, it just seems to be kind of hoarded in his house, in his, temp, in his, in his, in his palace. Well, uh, chapter 14 uh, signals a cautionary note to us. Chapter 14, uh, verses 25 and 26, uh, we're told just five years into the reign of his son, of Solomon's son, uh, the king of Egypt attacks Jerusalem and, um, and all these treasures are taken away. The, 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 the Pharaoh took everything, including the gold shield Solomon had made. Paul told Timothy, he said, uh, command the rich not to put hope in wealth which is so uncertain. And that's true, isn't it? You know, it is so uncertain. Uh, rather, uh, Paul told Timothy, uh, the rich are to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, willing to share. So what can we learn from, from Solomon here? Well, we need to examine our hearts, don't we? Our generosity. Solomon is, is, is on a slippery slope and we'll see in chapter 11 where he wanders away from the faith. A tragic drift that leads to tragedy. But before we kind of too quickly point the finger at him and his failure, well, don't we examine our own hearts? What would the Lord Jesus say of our own view of these things building up a security for ourselves and for our children uh, rather than trusting in the Lord I'm not, I'm not saying that we should give everything away that's not the point the, the point is do we have a generous spirit or are we looking to wealth to our savings, our pension to do what only the Lord Jesus can do for us to make us content 
to make us secure and to be blessed. And so as we look at Solomon, of course, that leads us to, to the Lord Jesus, doesn't it? To put our eyes fixed firmly on him. Let me pray as we close. Father, as we, uh, as we uh, wonder and marvel at uh, the extraordinary blessing that we see coming to Solomon, as we see uh, the security and the, f- uh, the prosperity and the fame uh, from your name that is displayed through him and his reign, and yet, Father, we, uh, we are humbled by it too. Uh, please, as we, uh, as we look inside ourselves, we pray that we would do so looking as well to the Lord Jesus, the one whom we do find our joy and delight, our riches uh, of wealth, of abundance, of blessing in him. Please uh, cause us to have generous hearts, we pray, uh, that we might not drift spiritually, Uh, but remain steadfast uh, in faith uh, and in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. For we ask this in your name. Amen.